You're listening to Rounding at Rush, a Rush University Medical Center podcast that features the latest clinical advances, research, and innovations. I'm your host, Dan Dean. Our guest today is Dr. John O'Toole, a neurosurgeon at Rush University Medical Center who specializes in spinal oncology, minimally invasive spine surgery, complex spinal reconstruction, and spinal radiosurgery. He is also the co-director of the Coleman Foundation Comprehensive Spine Tumor Clinic. His research interests include the clinical outcomes for spinal surgery, cost-effectiveness in spinal surgery, image-guided spinal surgery, evidence-based guideline developments, and the development of new spinal surgical techniques and devices. Dr. O'Toole, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dan. I want to start our interview by talking about one of the hallmarks of Russia's spine tumor program, which is its interdisciplinary nature involving both the neurosurgery side and oncology side. I'm wondering, how have patients been treated traditionally, and how did Rush come to take this interdisciplinary approach? Well, Dan, one of the issues that we face in treating patients with cancer is when they develop metastatic cancer, it obviously affects different organ systems in the body. And so in some cases, their care gets fragmented and patients see one specialist for one particular area of metastatic disease in their body and another specialist for another area. And all too often, providers get siloed in their own specialty and interest and can kind of lose focus on the bigger picture with the patient. And so comprehensive clinic care for cancer patients is something Rush has been doing for a long time. Uh, And you can imagine for patients with specific types of cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, these kinds of things, comprehensive clinics that involve medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, and surgeons working together in a single location can really help streamline patient care and provide treatment algorithms and plans that are in the best interest of the patient's overall care without losing focus. And so for spinal oncology, it's a little different in that we deal with all different types of cancer going to the spine. So we treat patients with every type of malignancy that might affect bone and not just one type of cancer. So for us, it was a sort of novel approach to developing a comprehensive tumor clinic that's a little different from some of the other ones in that the only unifying principles in comprehensive spine tumor care are the surgeon and the radiation oncologist by and large. So we decided to start this project quite a number of years ago, I think almost a decade ago, in developing this type of clinic. And it really required developing close relationships with a medical oncologist, knowing that they weren't going to be there in person, but that we could work with them over the phone, email, and the electronic medical record to keep those lines of communications open as we develop treatment plans surgically and from a radiation treatment standpoint to treating those folks. So this was something that was born of an idea that we needed to provide the best possible streamlined care for these patients in in a single setting. Can you talk about um, the change in patient outcomes by being treated with an interdisciplinary approach? Yeah, I think what we found is that, first of all, it's a little bit like one-stop shopping for the patients in that they they come in and they can be seen by a surgeon and a radiation oncologist all in one setting. We can discuss the case and come up with an interdisciplinary plan. And so for patients, there's less delay in care and implementation of care. So that's number one. And number two, we learn things from each other in an interdisciplinary clinic, of course. We glean insights, we teach each other principles that maybe we weren't familiar with before. 
and keep each other up to speed with the latest research in the field. And so I think patients are getting the most advanced treatments based on the most up-to-date evidence that's available for the treatment of their disease. Can you cite any specific data or numbers about being treated in a traditional way versus this interdisciplinary way? For spinal oncology, in any event, the, the most salient paradigm shift in treatment has been the way that stereotactic radiosurgery has really altered our approach to these patients surgically, and also who's candidates for surgery as well. So uh, in the past, traditional treatments would be aggressive surgical resection of patients with limited metastatic disease to the spine, and then conventional or palliative uh, external beam radiation, which had variable effectiveness in patients depending upon the type of cancer they had. And what's happened with the advent of stereotactic radiation is that we're now able to treat all types of cancer with ablative levels of radiation and get high levels of local control up to 95%, which has changed the way we do surgery in many cases. We're able to sometimes reduce the invasiveness or extent of surgery because we're able to achieve so much more with stereotactic radiation. So that kind of approach and discussing these cases ahead of time in, in an interdisciplinary way allows us to carefully select patients for that type of, of uh, treatment modality and wouldn't be able to do that without that kind of a setting. So to your point, you know, one of the reasons outcomes have improved is as a result of incorporating minimally invasive surgery or techniques. So can you talk about Russia's use of minimally invasive techniques, such as image-guided navigation and robotic surgery that have both transformed your practice and improved outcomes? Yeah, Dan. So minimally invasive spine surgery has sort of been a part of all aspects of spine operations for over 20 years now. And initially used in the treatment of degenerative spine disease, and we've been doing that here at Rush for, for as I said, decades. And it was uh, over a decade ago that we started to utilize minimally invasive techniques for oncology cases in the spine, for tumors of the spine. And we use it for a range of cases, including benign spinal cord tumors, all the way up to, as we've been talking about, metastatic cancer. And what we found, obviously, with minimally invasive surgery in the spine, as is found with minimally invasive surgery elsewhere, is we're able to reduce treatment-related morbidity, meaning complications related to the surgical approach and recovery times, blood loss, et cetera, all reduced with minimally invasive techniques. And for a cancer population, that's incredibly important. These people don't have a lot of time to be recovering from major operations before they get on to radiation treatments, systemic treatments for their cancer, et cetera. And... So these minimally invasive surgical techniques, the spine, we've been doing for a long time, and we've been leaders in trying to use it in cancer surgery as well. And that's been enhanced over the last 12 years or more that we've been using image-guided navigated surgery, which is basically using 3D imaging to guide our approach to the spine for resection of tumors and for spinal instrumentation for stabilization. And even in the last year now, we've, we've incorporated robotic surgery, sort of the next step in the image-guided sort of navigation plane. So these types of things allow us to perform these minimally invasive approaches for spinal surgery safely, effectively, and accurately, and really have made a big difference in, in the both short-term and long-term outcomes for these patients with, with spinal tumors. Can you go into more detail about the changes robotic surgery has made in terms of your practice? Well, robotic surgery is interesting, and in, in, in some respects, it's still in its infancy with regard to spinal surgery. We're not quite to where robotic surgery is, say, for thoracic surgery, abdominal surgery, prostate surgery, these kinds of things. It's a different type of, there are different types of robots that are used, and we're still 
actually exploring the advantages of robotic surgery. But what it does is it it gives us sort of additional level of confidence in terms of the accuracy of what we're doing with spinal instrumentation with regard to reconstruction of the spine for cases where we've got destruction of bone from tumor and that sort of thing. So we're really learning where this can can play a role in spine oncology treatments as we utilize it uh, on an ongoing basis. So it really is new in the field. So other surgical cases comparing laparoscopic versus robotic surgery, outcomes tend to be similar, but it saves the surgeon wear and tear and it improves recovery times for patients. Is that true also for spinal surgery or are there other benefits for robotic surgery for these cases that you see? Well, I think the, the difference between cavitary surgery, like you were mentioning laparoscopic or thoracoscopic surgery, is we can already minimize our approach-related morbidity with the minimally invasive techniques that we have. And that robotic sort of piece adds a level of internal consistency that can sometimes be lost with freehand, as we call it, freehand image-guided navigation or minimally invasive surgery. So all of these techniques, as you said, are mitigating the short-term or what we call perioperative morbidity of these surgeries. And there's no doubt that length of surgery, recovery time, and as I said, blood loss complications, wound complications are all less with these approaches. So I think we're fortunate to be in an era where we're able to use these kinds of techniques to make those kinds of differences. You mentioned that Rush has been a leader in using these minimally invasive approaches. I'm curious, are there Rush providers who've been involved in the research or in the development of these techniques or other cutting-edge treatments? Absolutely. Rush has been a leader in minimally invasive surgery, as I said, for decades. And our faculty uh, in neurosurgery sort of represents some of the leaders, thought leaders in the field for, for quite some time. The group here has been pioneering new minimally invasive techniques and publishing research on these techniques for many years now, both for spinal oncology indications, as we mentioned, but also for a range of spinal disorders, trauma, infection, and degenerative disease. This has been the hallmark of uh, many of our careers here at, at Rush. And the nice thing is that Rush has put a high priority on, on these types of techniques and treatments for the benefit of patients. Can you talk about why you in particular were interested in spine tumor surgery and talk about your clinical interests or research interests in this field. Yeah, I came to spine tumor surgery in part from my training in that I was trained by individuals who were fairly well known in the field, Paul McCormick, Michael Kaiser, some other experts at Columbia where I did my residency. And then under my fellowship with Rick Fessler, who is now my partner actually here at Rush, all of whom are well known for spine tumor surgery and spine tumor approaches. So this was sort of part of the pedigree for me. But the other thing that I learned under Dr. Fessler was the, really how to implement minimally invasive techniques throughout my practice and sort of decided to blend those, those interests into one thing. Because what I recognized early on was how debilitating spinal tumor disease can be for patients. It's so debilitating and even benign tumors. And really was inspired to think about ways to get these people into better places functionally, neurologically, from a pain standpoint, but do it with the least amount of iatrogenic damage that we could do through the course of surgery. And I've really been inspired along the way by a number of different patients who were facing adversity, whether it's from metastatic cancer causing spinal fractures or spinal cord compression, 
who were willing to fight through fairly intense surgeries to get to where they needed to be to have a better functional status. And it's those kinds of patients that I think really informed my thoughts about where we needed to go with these types of treatments to get them to those places faster and safer than we ever have. I want to jump back to a point you mentioned earlier in the interview about Russia's use of stereotactic surgery and stereotactic body radiotherapy. Can you talk about their impact on your practice and go into detail about outcomes or how it improves just provider experience, for example? Yeah, stereotactic radiation has been sort of a revolution in a number of different aspects of oncology treatment, but in particular with regard to spine oncology, it's totally changed the game in the way we think about treating patients with metastatic disease to the spine. We were accustomed to varying responses to our treatment plans for these patients, and now we're getting a much more consistent approach so that whether you have renal cell carcinoma, lung carcinoma, breast carcinoma, prostate cancer, you name it, we're having much more of a unified approach to treating these patients, which really involves something that the experts at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering sort of came up with, which is a principle called separation surgery. Mark Bilski and his colleagues out there who uh, we've collaborated with on some projects have sort of pioneered this idea of basically being able to uh, allow for neurological decompression and spinal reconstruction, which is much of what the problem is with these patients, but reducing the invasiveness and length of the surgery because we have such advanced radiation techniques that allow us to completely treat the tumor and ablate it and kill it without having to remove it all in total. So I think what that's done is it's allowed us to treat more patients with metastatic disease because the surgeries aren't quite as invasive in many of these cases. And particularly as we now have implemented minimally invasive separation surgery and minimally invasive spinal reconstructive techniques. So more patients are now candidates for these types of surgeries to treat their pain, to treat their disability and neurological dysfunction. So I think from a practice standpoint, it's completely changed how we look at patients, how we discuss patients and who are candidates for these types of treatments. The other advantage of stereotactic radiation is we're now able to treat patients with standalone stereotactic radiation. In other words, tumors to the spine that aren't causing fractures or neurological compression necessarily, so they may not need surgery, but we need to control their cancer in their spine. And the, we can convincingly do that and reliably do that with stereotactic radiation with, again, as I said, very high control rates for the, for the disease. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Russia's role in spinal disease research. Russia is one of only 28 clinical sites worldwide that's participated in the largest multicenter registry, which studies patients with metastatic spine disease. What are some of the preliminary findings from this research? Yeah, this is a very exciting project that we're involved with. So this is sponsored by AO Spine. Uh, an international spine consortium that studies any number of different spinal disorders and is very active in professional education uh, for spine. And in particular, the study that we're involved with is a prospective registry that's looking at patients with metastatic spine disease. And it's an international study, as you mentioned, at 28 sites. And the whole notion here is to look at metastatic spine disease in a larger pool. It's very difficult to study these things at a single institution. We just simply don't have the volume and numbers at any one institution to get convincing data about the care of these patients. And so by pooling the data from all of these sites, we're really getting large numbers uh, and allowing us to ask them some of the important questions that we've not necessarily been able to answer convincingly in the past. And so some of the things that we've been looking at in this group include anything from successive treatments for 
uh, metastatic spine disease, whether that's surgery, radiation, combinations of those, complications related to the treatments that we give, long-term outcomes, because one of the things that's really changed in cancer care is the long-term survival of many of these patients, even with metastatic cancer, due to the advent of uh, immunotherapies and checkpoint inhibitors and, and that sort of thing. And so now we have patients whose prognosis 10 years ago might have been six months with metastatic spine disease that now we see living for years. And so we really have had to change the way we think about surgical procedures on these patients because we need the results from those surgeries to be as durable as now their systemic treatments are. And the, investigating that at the level of an international or multi-center study is really the best way to do that because you can follow these people for time. It's getting really interesting as we start to talk about the way we can look at the response of patients to the treatments we're doing as spinal surgeons and radiation oncologists, meaning surgery and radiation, based on some of the molecular studies that medical oncologists have been looking at for years. In particular, you look at the various types of molecular factors that are associated with renal cell cancer or lung cancer and the way that they respond to various systemic therapies or immunotherapies. Well, we're starting to do those very same things to see are there particular molecular profiles of these tumors that make them more responsive to stereotactic radiation or even to put them at lower or greater risk of local recurrence after surgery. So, and you really can't study that type of thing at a single institution. And, and that's the advantage of these uh, larger prospective registries. You mentioned something interesting about that there's better outcomes for patients and that they are living much longer than what was originally anticipated, correct? Correct. So have you switched the way you provide care for those patients for more critical care treatment to longer-term care and lifestyle management? Absolutely. I mean, quality of life now is it was always important for these patients, but we used to think about it as what's your quality of life for the next several months. Now we're really thinking about what's your quality of life for the next several years. And in a way, that's how we've always thought about patients with, say, for example, degenerative disease of the spine, treating patients with arthritis and spinal stenosis and spondylolisthesis. We've always thought about and measured our results in surgical treatment of those patients based on long-term quality of life measures. And those are exactly the kinds of things we're now studying in cancer patients because those are the various factors that we're seeing one year, two years, three years down the road. Did we put together a surgical and radiosurgical plan that has left them with high levels of health-related quality of life. And so we are collecting all those kinds of outcome measures from those patients now. And as I said, we're thinking about them more in terms of the long-term horizon instead of the short-term palliative sort of care paradigm. Is that a hard adjustment for providers to make? I think it depends on where you're coming from. If your background is exclusively in oncologic care and dealing with sickest patients with the, the shortest prognosis, it can be harder, but I think for, certainly for my background, where I've also taken care of a lot of patients with degenerative spine disease, it was sort of a natural transition. And I think it's also, in the end, it's so gratifying and exciting to see these patients living for so much longer that I don't think it's too hard to adjust on the fly and start to think about what we're doing in a different way. Are there other studies that Rush is participating in that are also yielding promising clinical data? Yes. I mean, in addition to some of the radiation oncology trials that are ongoing, you know, we're constantly looking at new products and, and techniques and instrumentation uh, for the spine to figure out what is going to be best for these oncology patients. We're looking at implants that are made of different materials that'll be more 
amenable to post-operative imaging because we have to follow these patients with serial imaging studies to look for recurrence. We're looking at different biologics, meaning materials that we use to try and get the spine to heal and fuse in many of these cases. And there are some limitations to what you can use. And there's great limitations in terms of successful bone healing because these patients are getting radiation and systemic inhibitory treatments. So we're currently engaged in, in different trials looking at those types of adjunctive measures that can result in better surgical outcomes for these patients. Last question. Over the next five years, what do you see as the future of the spine tumor program at Rush? New techniques, new treatments, research, what's on the horizon? I think there's some exciting treatments on the horizon, as you mentioned, in terms of local brachytherapy. So in terms of implanting radiobiologics or radioactive implants that can treat cancer locally. This is not something that's been commonly done in spinal oncology. It's been done at a few centers and there's some new implants and devices. So I think brachytherapy in the local field is something that we're going to be looking at. I also think that as we advance the minimally invasive techniques that we're using, uh, we're going to find ourselves incorporating even local chemotherapy implants into some of these cases. And really, this is all sort of next-gen type of stuff, but it really can change how we're treating these patients in terms of long-term outcomes, long-term recurrences, and even not just progression-free survival, but overall survival for many of these patients. Dr. O'Toole, thank you so much for talking about the Spine Tumor Program and your work, and we thank you for having you on today. Thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure.